friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. Today, we're going to continue our Advent series, as Jonathan said. We're walking through the lives of the women who are listed in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew 1. This morning, we're looking at Rahab, and we're going to be in Joshua 1. At this point in Israel, Moses had died, and God has appointed Joshua to lead Israel into the Promised Land. This is 40 years after wandering in the desert due to the Israelites' rebellion and their faithlessness. A whole generation has died. The only two left of that generation are Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who believed in God's power and ability to bring them victory, to enter the land and to take hold of it. So as they make plans to cross the Jordan River, Joshua sends two unnamed spies to scope out the land. This is Joshua 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shatim, I looked that one up. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So our spies apparently were not great at being incognito. Immediately, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. So what we know about Rahab is pretty limited. But as I studied about her and found out these different clues to who she was, I really came to love this woman in the Bible. Because if there was ever a book who shouldn't be judged by its cover, it's Rahab. First, we're going to take a surface-level look at her. Um, Rahab, her name literally means prideful or blusterer. A blusterer is a person who causes trouble by speaking indiscreetly. She's a Canaanite woman living in Jericho, an enemy of the Israelites, and her home is in the wall of the city. It's on the edge. So she lives literally and figuratively in the margins. And she's a prostitute. So the success of Joshua's secret mission all comes down to the word of this woman, their enemy, a poor, blustery, indiscreet prostitute. At this point in the story, it's, I mean, we kind of know how it ends, but you're also like, if you just stood, stopped there, you're like, hey, God, maybe... You could have directed their steps somewhere else. Um, But God, God does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. But Rahab had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. 
we, we start to notice here there's more to Rahab than meets the eye. She demonstrates her character and her righteousness by protecting these men before ever receiving a promise of protection for herself. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And then Rahab makes a pretty bold request. Now then swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hill so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men said to her, this oath that you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into this house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she said, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So after Rahab helps the spies escape, they return to Joshua where they report, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Then they launched their unusual but successful attack on the city of Jericho. The city walls fall and the entire city is burned. We skip to Joshua 6.25, but Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. So we see a lot about Rahab's heart in this story. She's wise, she's bold and courageous, but the biggest thing we discover about Rahab is that she is a woman of faith. But what does that mean? First, we see that faith comes by hearing. Rahab heard of what God did for the Israelites in Egypt. She said, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites whom you completely destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. So this, just right off the bat, would be exciting stuff to report back to Joshua. But it's more than just words. Rahab's actually confirming a prophecy that was spoken by Moses. In the Song of Moses in Exodus, in, in Miriam in Exodus 15, Moses leads the nation of Israel in praise after safely crossing the Red Sea. And they sing that the nations will hear and tremble 
the people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. And Rahab, 40 years later, probably never having heard those, that song or those words, confirms those words to Joshua. We know that Joshua was a leader who demonstrated remarkable faith and courage. But he was also the leader who was reminded multiple, multiple times to be, do not fear and to be courageous. Um, so 40 years after Moses spoke those words, God caused a foreign woman to use the same words. What an encouragement that would have been to Rahab, or to Joshua. Um, and I, as I thought about that, I you know, wondered if that's ever happened to you. When you hear something that God's speaking to you and then someone comes along and confirms it. And they don't even realize the weight or the power of their words. But to you, it's so clearly God. Um, we did a Sozer training a few years ago. And um, I was glad Sue spoke last week and talked about crying. Because as I was practicing this, I was like, I've got my tissues. I'm prepared. But just to let you know. Um, so we did the Sozo training. And a group of us practiced the night before the training. And... Um, it's just a spirit-led prayer where you're listening to the Holy Spirit and just asking, um, you know, if there's lies that you believe, if there's someone you need to forgive, just, um, and so as we went through this, God revealed one lie that I believed about myself was that I didn't really have much to offer, didn't really deserve a seat at the table. And I, I get pictures sometimes in the picture that I got that communicated the truth of the Father's love for me. My value to him was this picture of my grandpa, Poppy. Um, it's an actual photograph that we have. It's of my cousin and I sitting in his lap at the head of the table. And um, it was just a really sweet picture that the Lord gave me to just be like, hey, here is where you belong. Right at the head of the table, I've got a special place for you. And um, it was like so sweet, so powerful. But um, I think sometimes our nature is to kind of doubt me, like, was that really God, or did I just think of that? And um, because we don't always see or hear from God clearly, it's more like an impression because we're on the veiled side of things. But so that was an evening, and then the next day, I went in for a real sozo session with the guy from Texas who was leading the training. And um, I'd never done, like, the official session before. We were just learning some of the tools, and as I walked into the room, he greeted me with this booming voice. He said, come in this house. Which I stopped dead in my tracks. It was like, because he didn't know this, but that was exactly how my grandpa, how Poppy would greet us when we walked into the doors to his house. And um, so this guy said that, and I walk in, I'm just stunned. And he's gone through logistics about what we're going to do, and um, I was crying already. And um, he was like, all right, do you have any questions? And I was like, do you say that a lot? And he goes, what did I say? And I was like, you said, come in this house. And he was like, I, he was like, I, don't, I don't know. I didn't recognize saying that. And for me, he was just kind of like, does that mean something to you? I was like, yes, it means so much. Um, but for me to hear that, it was just confirmation of God. I was like, hey, that was for you. And um it, just something he showed me, it was so powerful to hear that. For him, he had no clue to go see. He was just like, oh, you know. But that's what God used Rahab to do for Joshua. It was the words that had been spoken and passed down over 40 years that now 
this woman in, in Jericho is speaking again to confirm, to encourage him for the next act of faith that he was being called to do. So we know that Rahab is a woman of faith. And it's not just because of her actions here. She's actually um, regarded elsewhere in the Bible as a woman of faith. So in Hebrews 11, Paul lists several people who acted by faith and were thus rewarded. It says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were unbelieving. Rahab is the only woman in his, in his long and illustrious list that I like to call the Hall of Faith. Paul writes um, that, and then in James 2, the writer offers two examples of faith in action, Abraham and Rahab. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. In the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? So Rahab is kind of like the queen of faith. <laughs> when she heard of God's greatness, it inspired her to act and live in a way that went against her culture and everything she knew. So how do we operate in that kind of faith that Rahab had? There are three themes that we kind of picked out of Rahab's life when I looked at it. And the first one is risk. The only way to live a life of faith is to risk. Rahab risked her life, her family's lives, her culture. She was willing to give up her way of life and leave it all behind. We see this many times in the Bible, people who are willing to risk it all for God. And we also see people who aren't willing to risk what they have in the here and now for the promise of what will be. So I was struck, I kept thinking of Rahab compared to the rich young ruler that we see in Luke 18. Rahab is poor, marginalized, with lots of red flags and messiness. The rich young ruler is charming. He's good at following the rules. He's wealthy, presentable. He's like the kind of guy that you want to be able to name drop. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know him too. Um, but he misses the kingdom. He's unwilling to risk his finances, his comfort, his reputation in order to follow Jesus. Jesus tells him to sell everything he has and give it to the poor and he'll have treasure in heaven and then come and follow him. But instead, he goes away sad. Rahab, who operates with a significant level of risk and insecurity all the time, hears stories of a God who rescues and delivers slaves, a God who offers freedom and protection, and she puts it all on the line. So where are the areas in your life where God is asking you to move in faith? What are the risks there? Is it your reputation, your finances, your security, your comfort? The promise is that there is no risk that we could take for God that won't be rewarded. As Jim Elliott, the martyred missionary said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So we do see reward in Rahab's life. And, you know, Jesus goes on in Luke 18 as the rich young ruler fades in the, into the distance to say that no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. We do see reward for Rahab's faith and risk in her life. Joshua 6, 22 through 25, um, when Jericho's falling, 
Joshua says to the two men who spied at the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying, they went in and they brought out Rahab, her whole family. They brought, out, brought them out and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they destroyed the whole city. Nothing was kept. There was one instance where a guy kept something and it didn't turn out well for him because he disobeyed God. But um, Joshua spared Rahab and her family because she hid the men. Joshua sent, and, and then it says that she lives among the Israelites to this day. So we kind of have the spoiler alert. Of, we know that she's in Jesus' genealogy. That's not the end of her story. But she actually was adopted in. She was like the first convert who became a believer that was a Gentile. So everything Rahab thought she might lose, she actually gained. And other things got reversed. She gained salvation. They were saved from destruction. She was belonged. She wasn't just saved and then set loose to fend for herself. She was adopted into the Israelites. She became one of them. Her vocation changed. She was no longer a prostitute. She becomes a wife to Solomon, whose father was the head of the tribe of Judah, and a mother to Boaz. So I think it's pretty interesting that we see Boaz actually has two mother-in-laws who hold a really unique place in the scripture. Her reputation changed. The crux of her identity was no longer as a prostitute, but it was based on her faith in God and the courageous action she took and her legacy. She's listed as a hero of the faith and is included in Jesus' genealogy. Rahab's reward was incredible, but was even, even more when you consider what she's experiencing now. Finally, we see redemption. Those who operate in faith get to participate in the redemption story that God is bringing into the world. For Rahab, she became a part of God's redemption story as both a sort of a savior to those who would become her people and as a mother of Jesus, the savior who came to redeem us all. Colossians 1 says that he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So I'm going to um, head towards wrapping up. I'll invite the band back up. Um, and we're going to go back to Luke 18. Jesus asks, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And all throughout the Bible... God's searching and looking for people of faith. And many times he finds it in the margins. And um, later in the next chapter in Luke, we see that Jesus returns to Jericho. He enters Jericho and encounters another rich man. But this time it's a tiny tax collector who climbs a tree. Like Rahab, he was on the outside of polite society. He was wealthy, but reprehensible to the people around him. He was known as a sinner. But Jesus sees him and sees his heart and calls to him by name. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So all the people begin to mutter and say, he's gone to the house of a sinner. But Zacchaeus immediately stood up and said, Jesus, look, Lord, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. 
Both of these people in Jericho, Rahab and Zacchaeus, centuries apart, lived on the margins of society. But God saw them and knew them. He called them by name. So if you've ever felt disqualified or distanced from God because of your past, know that he is pursuing you with love and mercy. He is generous and full of grace. Lastly, just the final thing I wanted to say is if you remember in the beginning, Rahab's name means pride and bluster, but there's actually a second meaning of her name. And although God didn't change her name outwardly, like Sarai to Sarah and Naomi when she's no longer called Mara or bitter. And I think he changed it in her heart because he changed it in her life. The second meaning of Rahab is broad and strength. And I got that word, it just reminded me of like the broad place. It's in Job 36, it said, he is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place a broad place, free from restriction to the comfort of your table laden with choice food. I just think for us today, that's the invitation that God wants to give us, to live by faith and allow him to bring us into a broad place. story we see unnamed spies and unnamed kings and unnamed rich rulers but you saw and named Rahab you called her out you pursued her and you saved her Lord we know that that offer that pursuit and that salvation is not just for her then it's for us now so Lord I pray that you would speak to the hearts of these people today I pray that you would Show them how you've pursued them over the years, Lord, that you've not forsaken them, you've not forgotten them. Lord, I pray that um, you would give us the boldness and the courage to take a risk, to live by faith.